Well, this whole idea of the series that we started last week is really built upon what we're doing in the story of Christmas or, or Christmas at Mount Airy. Uh, the series is called The Story of Christmas that I'm doing on Sunday mornings, but really it's kind of built on what we're doing uh, through this community outreach event. The first week, last week, we talked about the fact that the Christmas story is the greatest story ever told because it is life-changing for anybody in the world. And what we talked about last week is that if the Christmas story is true, and of course it is, then it is a story that every person in the world deserves to hear, yet millions of people have never heard. So thank you for giving last Sunday, I think over $37,000 so far already, towards our goal of $62,000 to the Light of Moon Christmas offering to put another missionary on the field that they could hear the Christmas story and the salvation message of Jesus. Now, for the rest of this series, both today and next Sunday, we're going to follow the format of, of Christmas at Mount Airy because if you've gone to Christmas at Mount Airy, you know over at the Live Nativity, Isaiah speaks, and then Mary, later in life, talks about what it was like to give birth that night to the Son of God. And so that's really what we're going to be focusing on today and next Sunday. Today I'm going to be talking about Isaiah and how Isaiah spoke about the Christmas story years before it occurred, and then next Sunday we'll be looking at the story of Mary and, and her experience with, with the Christ child. So today, here's what I want to talk to you about. <clears throat> I want to explain to you today and walk through Scripture with you and help you to understand that the story of Christmas is a timeless story. It's a timeless story. Now, I, I looked up, I Googled a lot, and I Googled, you know, what are some things that are timeless? And the very first thing that popped up was popping bubble wrap. You know what I'm talking about? It is that time of year, you're going to get a lot of it. And, and you know, the, it's just the temptation just to pop those bubbles. And, and according to Google, of course, if it's on the Internet, it's got to be right. According to Google, the thing that's timeless is popping bubble wrap. Well, I was aiming for something a little higher than that, you know. I was thinking maybe we'd have something a little bit more uh, of substance than popping bubble wrap. But... The whole concept of timeless means that, of course, it's not affected by time. That the passing of, of, the, of the ages, it doesn't affect the truth of what you're, you're presenting. That it's, it's not affected by the, by the month on the calendar or the year of the calendar. That, that it's just not affected by time whatsoever. It, now, most of the time when we use the word timeless, we think in terms of something that lasts a long time. Truth of the matter is, there is nothing or no thing that is timeless in our world. Because everything in our world had a beginning and will eventually have an end. Even bubble wrap. It had a beginning, it will eventually have an end. There's nothing really in our world that's timeless. But there is another world beyond the world we live in. How many know that? Right? There's another world beyond the world we live in. That is a world not affected by time. That is a world of eternity or a dimension of eternity. I have a father, a mother, a brother, a father-in-law, a mother-in-law, and a baby brother that I've never met that are living in the eternity with God. They're living in heaven with God. and They're not experiencing time anymore. I promise you, my dad's not worried about the, what time it is on my watch right now. I promise you, my mom is not concerned about, about what day of the week it is. 
They're, they're not affected by time whatsoever. And it's hard for us to, cons- to, to understand that because we're so consumed by time. We're consumed by what day is it on the calendar? What month is it on the calendar? What year is it? We're so consumed with schedules and activities. It's hard for us to, do, to even think about a world outside of time. A world where time really does not even exist. It is the world of God. It is the world of eternity. And so today, here's what I want you to understand. The reason the Christmas story is timeless is because God actually planned the birth of Jesus before time began. You know that? Here, listen, listen, lean in a little bit. Listen to this. Don't misunderstand the Bible. It's not like, okay, God created the world, then Satan in Genesis 3 came in and messed everything up, and then God had to figure out how he's going to fix it all. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God determined to allow Christ to die for your sins and mine before the creation of the world. In other words, The Christmas story didn't just start in Bethlehem. The Christmas story, the story of Christmas, actually was planned before time began. I want to show you this in Scripture. I think we've got to put it on the screen for you. 1 Peter 1.20 says this, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Throughout the Old Testament, hundreds of years before the baby was born in Bethlehem, there were voices in the Old Testament calling God's people to look for this one who would come, who was predestined to be our Lord and Savior. Throughout the Old Testament, there were these voices speaking into God's people, telling them to look for the Messiah. And it's fascinating to look at these ancient prophecies and then see the fulfillment of these prophecies in the New Testament. Did you know that the Bible is the only book in the world that has specific prophecies and promises that are clearly fulfilled hundreds of years after they were given? There's no other book in the world like this. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of those prophetic voices, the old prophet Isaiah. And they're going to, we're going to look at some of the things that he said about Jesus, the Messiah. Now you need to understand one other thing about Isaiah. There are many references to Jesus or many references to the Messiah throughout the book of, of Isaiah. And today we're going to look at five of those prominent references. We're not going to have time to dig into them very deeply, but we're going to look at five of those prominent references that are unmistakable promises or prophecies about the Messiah or about Jesus. And then we're going to flip over to the New Testament for each of those and see their fulfillment in the New Testament. Now let me set the stage for you. Get ready to have your mind blown if you don't know this information. Isaiah lived and prophesied about 700 years before Jesus was born. So the the Isaiah that we are depicting in our Christmas at Mount Airy, the Isaiah of the Old Testament, who wrote about the Messiah that was to come, 
Isaiah lived and prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born. Now, to put that into perspective, imagine if someone living in 1319 predicted a baby would be born today in Powdersville. We'd be fascinated by that, wouldn't we? If somebody in, in the year 1319 could somehow look into the future and prophesy that there would be a, a certain baby born in Powdersville in 2019, if somebody had the ability to look into the future and predict something that would happen 700 years in advance, you say, Pastor, how, did, how does God do that? Because God's not confined. There is no such thing as a past and a present and a future with God. He's not confined to time. He sees it all. And through Isaiah, God spoke this word, and we're going to look at five of the prominent prophecies or, or promises where God revealed the Messiah would come and be a sacrifice for your sins and mine. God promised that he's coming. So on that first Christmas day, here's what was happening. God was fulfilling his promise made 700 years before through Isaiah. I want to look at some of these with you. First of all, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14, the first promise or the first prophecy that I want to look at that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah spoke about was the promise that he would be born of a virgin, that this Messiah, this one sent from God, would be born of a virgin. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Notice this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now this prophecy is astounding because it signals that God was making a new beginning in history. That God himself would originate a new life in the person of Jesus Christ. And this person would be unique in his birth, in his life, and in his death. He would be so unique that Isaiah prophesied that they would call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel translated means God with us. In other words, Isaiah prophesied 700 years before it, would, where it was to happen. This one would be born of a virgin and it would, he would be such a unique individual. People would recognize there's something different about him and they would declare him to be Emmanuel. They would declare him to be God with us. You need to understand that the virgin birth is an important part of our salvation story. You see, if Jesus had entered the world through natural human reproduction, he would have simply been one, one more fallen child living in a fallen world. If Jesus had not been born of a virgin, if he was an earthly child of an earthly father and an earthly mother, then sinful blood would, would have been coursing through his veins. He could not have been the pure and the perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. Jesus was not just born into this world. Listen to me, church. He was not just born into this world. Jesus came down from heaven into our world. The way he entered through, entered into heaven from into our world, he entered through Mary virgin. Now let me show you how this prophecy, put your finger there in Isaiah, we're going to come back to Isaiah, uh, run over to Matthew chapter 1, I want you to see how this is fulfilled, this promise, this prophecy, 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child. And notice this, you might want to underline it in your Bible. She was found to be with child, underlined through the Holy Spirit. This is no ordinary child. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph knew this child was not his child, biologically. He understood that. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here we have a second reference to this miracle. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now look at verse 22 and verse 23. All this took place to fulfill, you might want to underline that word fulfill, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew, as he's writing his story about Jesus, his gospel, Matthew points out this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet said. Matthew 12 times in his gospel letter 12 times speak about speaks about the old testament prophecies of god being fulfilled he wrote about the the things that happened in the new testament being prophesied in the old testament it's a powerful testimony everybody look up here it's a powerful testimony that this is no ordinary book this is the word of god this is god's perfect revelation this book has, is divine in its origin. It is perfect in every single way. It is without error. And what God prophesied through Isaiah in the Old Testament, in the days of Isaiah, 700 years before it happened, Matthew, as he writes the story of Jesus, said, and this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet said, that he'd be born of a virgin. They'd call him Emmanuel. We could stop right there. And we could go home and we could live with the promise that what God says, he's going to do. And no matter how impossible it may seem, God can bring it about because he's God. You need to understand something, church. Let me tell you something. Our whole salvation, and I'll probably get into this next week, so I need to back up a little bit. But I just got to tell you a little bit right now. Our whole salvation is rest upon a miracle greater than the virgin birth. The very fact that you and I can have the opportunity to be born again. Listen, if, if we have the opportunity to be born again, it's the same power displayed, the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave, the, the same power that put Jesus in the womb of Mary, it's the same power that can bring new life to you and me as well. So here's the first prophecy, first promise. Be born of a virgin. Number two, <clears throat> I like this one. It's the promise of light. Go back to Isaiah, this time to chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, 
verses 1 and 2, Isaiah prophesies, again, 700 years before it occurred, something very important. Look what he says, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future... He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a what, church? A great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah was speaking to a people who were living in a land of darkness. Not a land of physical darkness, but a land of spiritual darkness. Let me explain that to you, and the easiest way to explain it is just to go back to chapter 8 and read verses 21 and 22, and you'll get an idea of how spiritually dark the land was. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, and when they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will thrust in they will be thrust into utter darkness. Isaiah was talking to a people that were, were living in a distressful, dark time spiritually. And he saw a day coming when God would send a light into the midst of the darkness of their world. Look at it again. Verse 1, chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the what, church? Remember that. He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. All those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Have you ever sat in the darkness maybe one early morning, maybe at the beach or something, and it's absolutely dark. It's pitch black dark, and you're sitting there waiting for the sun to come up. You ever done that? Maybe you're on a mountain range somewhere, and and you're waiting for the sun to come up over the mountains. And It's a wonderful thing just to sit in the darkness for a while, but as you're sitting there, everything is dark. And it just doesn't change. And you're, you're sitting there for a long time, and it's still dark, and it doesn't change. And then all of a sudden, you begin to notice a little bit of change on the horizon. You don't see the light yet, but you notice there's something that looks a little bit different on the horizon. And of course, slowly, 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 you begin to see the light appear. People living in the land of Israel, in the days of Isaiah, were living in a land that was dark spiritually and slowly 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 as century after century after century passed eventually the light began to appear on the horizon now this is the part I really like he talks about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali that that was where the light would really appear and shine brightly The land of Zebulun and Naphtali is an Old Testament name for the areas west of the Sea of Galilee and north of the Sea of Galilee. If you go to Israel, you'll go through that land. you go all over that area, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in fact, it may surprise you to find out that when Jesus came to the area of the Galilee, 
guess where he spent most of his time? The land that they called in the Old Testament Zebulun and Naphtali. He spent most of his time around that northwestern border of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. Mount of Beatitudes, and all those, that's all in that same area. Now, let me show you the fulfillment in the scripture, just so you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, go over to, again, put your finger in, in Isaiah. Matthew chapter 4, we're looking at the prophecy in Isaiah, and then how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was, of course, the town he grew up in. Not the town he was born in, but the town he grew up in. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does. So he leaves Nazareth to go live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And here's why, verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. And beginning there in Galilee, in those areas prophesied by Isaiah. Look what it says in verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What the old prophet Isaiah had talked about has now appeared not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N has now appeared. The light of the world. And Isaiah, 700 years before he came, prophesied he would spend a great deal of his time in the area around Galilee, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It got good. It got amazing. Let me show you a third prophecy, a promise. That's the promise uh, this is the one that kind of blows my mind, the promise of a child. Going back to Isaiah chapter 9 again, Isaiah chapter 9, this time going to verse 6, it says, <clears throat> For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you haven't marked it in your Bible yet, you might want to underline those words. For to us, a child is born. I don't know if you've kept up with this at all, but Disney has created a stir with their new streaming Star Wars series called The Mandalorian. In that new Star Wars series, they have a, a creature known as the child. The child looks like a baby Yoda. It's really become the breakout star of the show, and the internet is buzzing with pictures, various memes and pictures of, of baby Yoda, because this is declared to be the child. Now, whether that's coincidence or intentional, that it is coming about during the time of the Christmas season, I have no idea, and I'm not going to speculate on that. 
But I do want to say this, there is only one who is qualified to be the child. And that is the Lord Jesus himself. I'm not speaking against this Disney character. I'm just wanting to recognize that there is only one who deserves the definite article of the child. Isaiah spoke about the child 700 years before he came. And he spoke about him clearly in verse 6. The prophet described in verse 2 the light that would come. And in verse 6, he described the light as a child. Now, everybody look up here over the Life Center. Look at me. I want to tell you something. I can understand God sending light into darkness. I can even understand God sending a Savior to the world. But what's harder for me to comprehend is why God would send him as a child. I mean, everyone thought that the Messiah was coming, and the the type Messiah they were looking for was a spiritual or military conqueror. They were living under under the oppression of Rome. They had lived under the oppression of many nations as God's people. And it seemed like the legacy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was at risk because these nations kept coming to conquer the people of the promised land. And so as they looked towards the future and hoping and praying for Messiah to come, they always envisioned Messiah as being a spiritual military leader that would free them from the oppression of these these, uh, armies that invaded their land. And in that dark, desperate time, in that dark, desperate land, God did not send them this spiritual military leader. God sent them a child. I mean, imagine calling the police because somebody's breaking into your house and a child shows up to help. Or or imagine having chest pains and you run to the ER and a child walks into the room to help you. That would be absurd. When we are in a desperate situation, we're not really expecting a child. When we're in a desperate situation, we don't really want a child. When we're in a desperate situation, we're not looking for a child. So why why did God do that? Why did the Savior of the world come to us as a child? I believe the answer is this. I want you to listen closely. I believe the reason he came to the world as a child is because that's the way you came to the world. He came to identify with you and with me. You see, we'll see later that he came not, for, not because of his sinful life, but he became to free us from ours. And so he entered the world the way you entered the world. He entered the world the same way I entered the world. He came as a baby. He came as a child. In fact, let me show you this <clears throat> scripture, 1 Timothy 3.16. I, I found that this week. I really like it. Just reading part of the verse, it says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He, speaking of Jesus, he appeared in a body. He appeared in a body. God in a body. Jesus was simultaneously fully human and fully divine. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. He was God in a body. you, You could say he's really the man of both worlds, isn't he? He's the bridge by which God comes to earth and by which people go to heaven. 
Uh, that, that was good. Let me say it again. He's the bridge by which God came to earth and by which we go to heaven. So he started out like you and I did. He started out as a baby. He cried in the middle of the night. He hungered for milk. And occasionally he needs some fresh swaddling clothes. Because he came like you and I did. And that's what Matthew was talking about when he told the story of Jesus. I want you to see the fulfillment of this. Quickly, go, go to uh, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. A very familiar scripture. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 it says this. She will give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, there's that word, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now skip down to chapter 2, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. Here's the story of the visit of the Magi. Uh, I tell you what, to put it in context, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 1, because I need to clarify something for you. I know that in your Christmas carols and your Christmas cards, it always shows that the Magi or the wise men are there the night Jesus was born. And I'm here to tell you that didn't happen. I hate to, I hate to mess up your Christmas, but that didn't happen. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And he, when he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. The prophet Micah prophesied the place of his birth. Then, verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. Notice this, for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the, what's that next word? The it doesn't say baby, where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, on coming to the what? I thought they were in a manger. I thought they were in a barn. I thought they were in a cave. Where well, they were when he was born. The Magi actually came at least months later, if not one or two years later. Now, how do we know that? Because later, Herod had all the male babies born who were two years of age and younger. Why two years of age? Because that's about how long it had been when the Magi showed up. That's why when you go to, to, to this uh, live nativity, we don't, have, we don't have the wise men there. It wouldn't make sense, would it? For Y'all come back a couple of years, we're going to have a couple of three wise men standing here. That wouldn't make sense to anybody. All right, so let's read, let's read this. Watch this, verse 10. When they saw the star, that were, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they moved into a house now. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and I love this. 
And they bowed down, worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with him gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. You know why they worshipped him? They understood. This is not just a child. This is the child Isaiah prophesied about 700 years ago. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And they worshipped him. I'm about to run out of time, so let me run quickly to the numbers 4 and 5. Going back to Isaiah chapter 9, we also have the promise of an eternal king. The promise of an eternal king. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Watch this. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And what's the next word? He will reign on David's throne from that time on and forevermore. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would actually be a descendant of David who would rule in righteousness forever. We don't have enough time to dig into that, but it's a beautiful prophecy that Jesus would be a descendant of the great king David who would occupy the kingdom forever. That this would be, watch this, this would be the ultimate king of kings. It would not be like David who was the great king of Israel, but David had his time and then he was gone. Isaiah prophesied there will be one who comes because David had to eventually vacate his throne. Because he's human like you and I. Every king came and he went. He came and he went. He was here, then he was not. He had to vacate his throne because he's human. And Isaiah prophesied, but there is a king coming. There is a king coming who will take the throne of David and he will never vacate that throne. He will be the king of all kings. Now, I want you to look with me how that's prophesied or how that's fulfilled in Luke chapter 1. We're about out of time, so you need to go quickly. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, Mary... Oh, I'm sorry, in the sixth month, God sent the, Gabriel, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. There's the first reference, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne. Watch this. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What Isaiah had prophesied 700 years before, Clearly fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, as Luke describes it. And the last, we don't have time to look at all of this, but I have to end by reading with you the last prophecy that references Jesus in the book of Isaiah. Uh, It's in Isaiah 53. 
Isaiah 53. This is so clear, it doesn't really even need any description by me. I just want to, dis- to read it for you. Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesying about Jesus, the one to come. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then speaking of Jesus, here's what he says. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah prophesied the whole picture, didn't he? Born of a virgin, a light to the Gentiles. King of all kings, but one who would die a sacrificial death for our sins. If you were to go tonight to the Christmas at Mount Airy and you go across, round back to the live nativity, I encourage you to look to the far right. As you're standing there looking at the live nativity of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the animals, Isaiah, Mary, as you're looking at all of that beautiful story unfold, over to your right in the distance on the hillside, is an illuminated cross. Just a powerful, silent reminder that Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, born to die for our sins. We never want to leave Jesus in the manger. Nor did Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied, He will come. He will come to be the sacrifice for our sins. You pray with me. Here in the, in the sanctuary, over in the Life Center, maybe those watching online, I'm going to ask you one simple, powerful question. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Is He real to you? Have you claimed Him as your Lord and Savior? The, the whole story of Christmas is about what God has done so that you could have freedom from your sins and relationship with Him. Uh, Today, if you don't know Christ the Savior, the Bible says God has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That is, all of our sins. And today, if you will by faith say, Father, I believe that. By faith, I claim that. I accept that Jesus died on the cross for me. That He experienced my pain and my punishment and I put my faith in Christ alone today for salvation for forgiveness you could do that today in the name of Jesus I pray you will thank you God for what you prophesied 700 years ago because you care so much about us today in Jesus name amen